0: Welcome to Corridor with Recreational Aotearoa, a podcast for the New Zealand recreation industry. I'm Sarah Ford, the marketing manager of Recreational Aotearoa,
1: and I'm Leah McLean, the communications coordinator for Recreational Aotearoa, and we'll be your hosts for this month's Corridor.
2: Kia ora. My name's Andrew Leslie. I'm chief executive of Recreation Aotearoa. My favorite recreation activity these days is Walking in the bush, and soon to be riding my bike. So I'm going to be talking to you today about my recovery from my mountain bike ex- accident and what I'm learning, both personally and professionally. From. You.
0: Welcome, boss Andrew, to the podcast. Our first ever episode. Exciting. It is exciting.
2: <laughs> Kira, ora, Leah,
0: ora, boss. Um. So yeah. We just wanted to kind of catch up with you um it's one year on mm. from your accident um what what does that mean
2: yeah one year goodness <laughs> crazy year yeah, is crazy year you know like, on the one hand it's gone very fast or just the sort of um uh, i guess where i where i am now versus where i was is so vastly different so it kind of feels like a um yeah, a bit of a time warp sort of a year mm-hmm. in my regard, but then also so much has happened, so it's 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 been a, a very long year as well. You know, um, but it's a yeah, one year is a is a time to reflect and think about how far I've come. Um, it's also a, you know I think a time to reset or you know sort of think about your goals. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, a bit of planning ahead as well, but yeah, it's it's certainly a milestone, absolutely. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's been a you know there was um, the nineteenth of, of March was the, the actual anniversary day of the um, of the crash, um, so very emotional, mm-hmm. um, you know, brought up a lot of a lot of memories, um, but also um, a huge amount of pride I felt mm. as well terms of what I've achieved.
1: You returned to the site on I the did. anniversary.
2: Yeah, yeah. Which, um, you know, I wanted to do for a number of reasons. So the, um, seeing the site and uh, thinking more or, you know, getting more perspective on the actual accident itself was um, very insightful and helped me, I found it very cathartic. You mm-hmm. know, so it helped me understand what had happened to me a lot better Uh, but it also helped me um draw a line under that and you know put it to bed, so to speak you know that that was an accident that happened a year ago now and is what it is and it you know left me with this lifelong injury but it's it's in the past now you know but it was a it was a huge day actually it was a huge day it was um Actually, in in the morning, I uh, was at at the Karori Golf Club. (laughs) So it's part of the, um, uh, I guess, part of you know exploring what I want to do in the the future. um, I'm just starting to dip dip my toes into into golf. You've turned to golf. Well, I've always had this. um, You know, I've always. I mean, I've never been a great golfer. Let's let's (laughs) put that out there to begin with. You know, and I've maybe played. One round a year or something like that, and, and be pretty bad for most of the round, and then you have one or two good shots, and there'll be enough to kind of keep you inspired to, to play again <laughs> the next year, you know. Um, but during my um, my time in hospital, sort of towards the end of my time in hospital, when we we were going out to do rehab, uh, we went to a driving range, and um, so I had a good swing of the of the club then, and, and you know, there's actually something I can. I can do. So um, yeah, on the, on the morning of the anniversary day, um, with a couple of people went to Karori Golf Club and I did three holes, um, managed to, you know, hit the ball down the middle of the fairway. Got to get a bit of elevation yet, but certainly the swing is not too bad. It's just a bit of uh, depowering in the shoulders still, which um, kind of restricts it at various points, but I could hit the ball. That's the main thing. Um, so yeah, it was a cool morning, and then um, yeah, a group of us gathered at the uh, one of the entrances to, to Makra Peak, and so I had um, a good mate Sean with me, who's um, he's been coming with me on on my walks, um, you know, my walk up Mount Koeko, my walk up Mount Vic. He actually um, uh, on the on the Mount Vic walk, he he uh, walked backwards down. Mount Vic, kind of his <laughs> hands out, ready to catch me if, uh, if I fell. So it's dedication, is it? It's quite a feat. I thought, that was, that was, that's that's I thought yes. you were going to say you'd made him walk backwards. <laughs> like, you know, like if I'm he going a bit so He did not voluntarily. He listen, so yeah, he came with me. And then there's uh, two of the, the mountain bikers that um, came across me that day as well, mm-hmm. uh, came with me. And so we... Um, didn't take us too long to get there, we, we sort of worked out a route that um, we sort of traversed across the park to, to get to the point. Um, but yeah, so cool to have um, those guys with me, particularly the uh, the, the mountain bikers, because um, I learned more about the crash there than what I thought. So my, my memory of it, whilst I was, I was conscious through the whole thing, uh, well I thought I was. Actually <laughs> Uh, as it turns out, maybe not. Um, so the, my memory of it is actually more condensed than what it was in reality in, in a number of ways. So the first thing that, that absolutely shocked me was Russ um, pointed out where he found me lying on the track. Yeah. Now, my memory was I yeah, crashed at the bottom of this drop-off mm. and I was lying underneath the drop-off. In reality, where I was lying was nearly probably 10 metres from the bottom of the drop-off. So I I had catapulted forward way more than what I Mm. thought I did. Um, And I I found the rock where my head would have landed, um, and I went even further forward than that. So the motion would have been me um, being projected over my handlebars from the bottom of the drop-off. Landing on my head, and then summiting even further to the point where I was lying, I was found lying on the track. So that the that first thing that shocked me was, I can't believe I survived that. that yeah, that's crazy. That, it was it was that was quite shocking. And then Russ sort of talked about what happened when when he arrived, and um, so I was, I was quite clearly sort of phasing in and out of consciousness by the sounds, you know, because I would ask him a bunch of questions, and I'd sort of you'd see me phase out a bit, and I'd. Come back to and Ask the same lot of mm. questions. <laughs> so I was kind of going in a bit of a loop. Yeah. You know, and um, and then I, I swear that the paramedics arrived at the same time as the helicopter. But no, there was the paramedics arrived, at me, then rang the helicopter, and that took a away. You know, so there was a yeah. sort of the the, um, the way the sequence of things happened mm. and the time over which it took to happen was different from what I. Recall,
0: yeah. That's quite a lot of blanks then, isn't it? Because then, you know, it must have felt like, oh, that happened and then you get awesome Strava stats from your, uh, I know, from your I trip know. to when, the hospital and when, the when I, um,
2: <laughs> when I finally found found my watch, which was, um, I still don't know to this day how my watch ended up back at my house, but, but it did, <laughs> uh, it was in a, in a bag of mountain biking and stuff and um, I uh, recharged it and you yeah, up popped this this ride which was about three it was the longest ride I'd done well. on Strava 300 <laughs> I something think
1: so. and something kilometers. So probably the longest ride on Strava. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah I, 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 I should uh, go for a bit of a, an award or something Absolutely. <laughs> it, it showed the, the point that I crashed and then it showed this red line sort of shooting off to the to the east towards Wellington Airport and then from Wellington Airport to Hagley Park and then uh, from Hackney Park to Christchurch Airport, and that's where it, it stopped. So somehow my watch got back from there to... Uh,
0: Your watch was like, I don't feel to like this. This is, this is <laughs> the vehicle bike ride right now.
2: It's on Strava. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if it's S-G- on Strava, it happened. Absolutely. <laughs> and then you woke up in the middle of a pandemic. That must have been a bit 28 days later.
2: Mm, mm. Now, yeah, that, um, my whole experience in ICU was was pretty freaky. Really, mm, yeah. I um, I've I've been doing some some research on this, and um, so I I suffered what's called ICU delirium. Mm-hmm. So it's actually it's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's experienced by you know as much as seventy percent of uh, people that um, have a extended stay in ICU, and so it's a um, It's a combination of the effects of the the drugs that you're on, um, the ventilator, uh, the disorientation that you have, not knowing whether it's day or night, and what that does to your circadian rhythm. Um, So a combination of all that means that you get into these sort of delirious states. And um, I guess it was all compounded for me because of the, the weirdness of actually what was happening in the world. And um, that was, you know, people would have been talking about that around me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even when I was in the induced coma in that first week, um, my memory of the the dreams I was having there, which was super vivid, you know, they felt absolutely like I was, you know, awake and living in these dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they were affected by um, what was was being said around me as well, you know. um, so there was um, sort of a theme that kind of went in and out of these these dreams, and some of them were kind of um, you know probably you know hallucinations that I was having while I was awake as well. You know? mm. So a lot of that was yeah, was based around sort of you know the world being wiped out by viruses and post apocalyptic sort of, yeah dystopian future sort of visions and scenarios. You know, so it was it was really scary. It really yeah. was and. Um, you know in every sort of scenario something bad happens to you you know mm. so it's yeah it's a pretty freaky time and um you know some people uh icu delirium continues to affect them you know and wow. um, you know f- for long periods of time afterwards they may get anxiety attacks you know thinking back on it and so on so it's um yeah it i guess it's just it's a part of my journey but it's um it was a pretty freaky time, and yeah, absolutely compounded by the fact that when I woke up, you know, New Zealand was in level four lockdown. you
0: know? It is so. like the beginning of a movie. <laughs> I feel like we should contact Netflix and be like, "Have you heard this guy's story? Like, <laughs> you woke up and it was a pandemic. It's crazy. I that think must it's, have been it's, so strange.
2: It's really crazy, really strange. Yeah. And you wouldn't,
1: your family wouldn't have been able to see you at that point. No, that right? no,
2: that's right. And that continued for quite some time. Mm. You know? Where uh, once I, I mean, we'd worked out a bit of a, um, or had, it had been worked out uh, that my wife was able to see me for sort of an hour a day while I was in ICU. But when I got to Burwood, uh, Burwood Hospital at Christchurch, Christchurch, they had a very strict, um, you know, no visitors rule. And, you know, quite rightly, there were uh, a lot of vulnerable patients there. Mm. So, um, you know, me and my fellow patients were our own bubble um, for quite some time. Actually, like that strict no visitation rule continued uh, into level three as well. Yeah. And it was only really, you know, into um, you know quite a way into level two, I think, when um, you know the uh, visitation completely opened up. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah, that was that was super hard. Um, fortunately, yeah, my Um, fellow patients were all in the the same boat really so we uh we got really tight we we really uh, bonded together you know it wasn't just the sort of what we were going through in terms of our injuries and recoveries but it was also you know the fact that we only had each other yeah just Mm.
0: just you guys together so Mm. what was um what was like a typical day like at Burwood what what kind of things would you do well
2: Monday to Friday was full-time job was rehab Mm. yeah so um you know you, in the morning, you, it takes a wee while to, to get ready in the morning, and you know, be nurses helping you get, get ready. And uh, depending on your level of, of functionality, um, that, that may be you know, everything needs to be done by the nurses, or it may be that you know, you do some of it yourself and some of it assisted. Um, but yeah, you kind of that first period is getting ready, um, getting into either your wheelchair or into you know, your crutches or whatever your form of mobility is at the stage and heading off down to the gym for your first session. And so a a typical day for me would, um, it could be as much as uh, six separate sessions each day, which would be a, there's definitely sort of two physio sessions in the gym. Um, There would be a a hand session in the gym as well. Um, Then there would be a range of other forms of occupational therapy sessions where Focus may be on um, you know learning to uh, brush your teeth, or it might be learning how to you know do up your shoelaces, or kind of where, wherever you're at at that point. You know, bearing in mind for me with the um, the level of the injury, my whole body was affected. So in effect, I, I was having to you know relearn how to do everything.
0: You know? Yeah.
2: Um, so that that was was quite a, a catalog of things we need, we needed to work through with the occupational therapist to. Be able to do it again. Be able to do it independently, you know. So you kind of don't have to have too much assistance, I guess, in doing everyday things. You know.
1: I think one thing that really struck me that you said um, a while ago was even now doing something like picking up a glass of water still takes quite a lot of brain power for you to do. Like you really have mm. to think about the action before you do it. Mm.
2: That this, yeah, this. It, I mean, it's. So things don't happen automatically for me, given the fact that the messages clearly have been blocked coming from my brain to different parts of my body. That motion of reaching out for a glass of water, I've got to be conscious that the muscles are operating in the right sequence. When I walk, I've got to be very conscious of each stage of my gait. Walking, or you know, all these sorts of forms of of movement are super complicated when they aren't happening, happening naturally. The <laughs> uh, yeah. and so that whole process of you know, relearning how to move was, yeah, if you sort of step back and look at it objectively, it's, it's fascinating. And for me, I my relationship with my physio was so key there, you know. So the, every time there was a uh, an opportunity to advance my movement to the to the next level. We, we just like absolutely went for it. So it's, it's on the on the, the back of a lot of a lot of hard work and, and coordination uh, with the various physios and occupational therapists, etc., that are, that were helping me. Uh, but yeah, to this day, it's uh, it needs to be reasonably uh, front of mind when I move. Um, I mean, even even this morning, walking to walking to work, uh, one of my colleagues popped up next to me and uh, said hello, and it gave me a huge fright. I <laughs> literally jumped. It was because I was just like so focused on walking and what's immediately around me, and, and you know, looking at the footpath and trying to work out whether there's deviations, in it. and then all of a sudden someone was calling my name, it just just like. Wrenched me out of this uh, <laughs> this absolute trance. That was a, that's was, that was a hilarious. really
0: good mental note for people not to like sneak up behind you, all <laughs> <in my conferences laughs> or anything. Yeah, and,
2: and also I've learnt that when it's windy, I need to take my walking stick with me. I uh, was walking to a to a meeting, probably about November, I think. You know, November of Wellington obviously is very windy, and I was coming around a corner, and there's a there's a couple of couple of roads in the CBD in Wellington where it's just an absolute wind tunnel and I came around the corner and the wind was just barreling down the street and it smacked me on the side and uh, just absolutely knocked me over. Oh and, wow. Jeez. Uh, there was, it was lovely there, there was people right there that you know helped me out. Um, there was a guy under each arm that helped me across <laughs> the road and they just me all the way to my meeting. Oh that's yeah. nice. But you know, I've learned to take a walking stick with me when it's windy, and yeah, Sydney, um, you know, moving around requires a lot of a lot of focus for
0: me. Mm. Especially yeah. in Wellington, maybe maybe mm. a move to a less windy city.
2: Uh, and it's not, <laughs> it's not just the wind either, you know. It's it's our um, our environments, our um, urban environments are not easy for yeah. people to move around.
1: Mm. Yeah. Especially in Wellington with the brick footpath. It's really slippery
0: when it's been raining. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Looks nice. (laughs) Um, You'd said about your relationship with your physio, and Mm. that's so awesome that she was so supportive. How did she react when you told her that you were going to walk out of Burwood? How did she react when you did walk out of Burwood? Yeah, well,
2: (laughs) both her and I had a bit of a cry issue when (laughs) I I walked out of of Burwood. Early on in my stay there you get asked what are your what are your goals, you know, what are your goals by the time you leave hospital and I guess like most people, you know, your, your vision is that you, you want to walk out there, out of there, you know, that's a, uh, that's something that would be, you know, a huge achievement, so I had that there as a goal, uh, I also had, I wanted to play the chord on the guitar again, you know? but then I also had these, you um, I guess stretch goals in the back of my head as well. So there was yeah walking out of there, but I wanted to walk well out of there. I had a, a vision in my head of being able to walk in the bush in Wellington. So to be able to achieve that, it was more than just being able to walk around the gym in Burwood without any you know, walking sticks or crutches or whatever. I needed to learn how to walk out in the community and out in the environment. And that's that then sort of shaped the the work that I did with my physio. So she was awesome at, and, you know, in terms of getting me and my drive and, and ambition. And we really pushed through the whole the whole process really to get to that so there was enough time in my stay in hospital that we could do things that are a bit more advanced.
1: Mm. Um, and kind of in that same vein, you also recently got back on your bike.
2: Mm, I did. I did. Now, that was, that was a goal in the phase once I was out of hospital. So again, I got asked for, you know, what are your six-month goals with my new physios, the community-based um, service that I'm, I'm now working with. And I had yeah, a, a range of different goals. One of them was getting back on the bike. And I, so I, I sort of broke down the, um, the, the whole process. Like I, I knew I needed to be able to um, move the pedals around on a bike, but I also needed to have strength in the right places. I needed to be able to balance. Uh, I needed to be able to, you know, the practical things like being able to get your bike out of the bike shed and up the stairs and up the path and onto the back of the car. I sort of worked through all those various components of it and did preparation before we actually got on the bike. And, but it was so cold. So we were at Karori Park and lovely day. And I so you know for my mountain bike it's got a seat dropper. So I kind of worked out how to get on the bike and had the, the seat down so I was touching the, the ground. And um, it was really that sort of mental hurdle of that first, that first pedal, you know, that mm-hmm. first revolution. But at the end of the day it was it was fine like as soon as i got that that little bit of momentum the unknown was how my balance was going to be but i knew immediately that it was it was fine so mm, that's
0: brilliant got the other foot on and,
2: and way away so cool amazing um, yeah
0: absolutely smashing the personal goals which is just like fantastic yeah
2: yeah and look for you know i'm so i feel so lucky with the recovery i've had and I could stop now and be pretty happy you know, I can walk I can I can do everything independently I can ride a bike <laughs> um, but I've got aspirations around further development in that that's for sure and I'm only a year into it so I've still got a, a long way to go there Yeah, so you've done, you've
0: done quite a lot to be fair in the last year you know, like, don't well, know. There's, there's more to do this yet. <laughs> you know, so
2: I'm thinking, so with my walking, yeah, I can walk, but I want to be more efficient with how I walk and be more fluid. I work, walk a bit like a robot at the moment. So how do I how do I achieve that? You know, that's, that's a, a much sort of finer detail that I need to focus on. And I'm trying a whole other level of, um, or a whole different type of treatment that sits alongside my physio treatment called neurophysics, which is all about uh, rerouting neural pathways in your body. So it's a, it's a treatment that's more focused on the nervous system rather than muscles and, and getting building strength and flexibility. And it complements really nicely the, the work I'm doing with the physio. So you know, I'm trying I'm trying lots of different stuff, basically.
1: Awesome. And what about professionally as the CEO of Recreation of Arau, That's a pretty incredible journey to go on. So that's obviously, it's obviously changed the way you look at recreation. Um, So how has the experience sort of shifted your mind professionally and what would you like to see in the recreation sector that caters for people who aren't as able-bodied as other people?
2: Mm. Well there's there's a couple of sides to this for me, there's the fact that my experience really validates the benefit of recreation and the, Mm -hmm. the benefit of the work that the recreation sector does. The recreation has been pretty much the foundation of my recovery really thinking about how i really pushed on when i was in hospital that was when i got out of hospital and went to the beach and went to the you know Port hills and walked on tracks went to the driving range i can still hit a golf ball <laughs> not very well but i can never hit a golf ball very well anyway <laughs> Uh, So it was, yeah, it was recreation, you know, so it was doing things that benefited me not only physically, but also mentally, and I think that's the, of course, the special thing about recreation, isn't it? So there was this validation of our work, really, but then it's absolutely got me thinking about how do we improve the situation for people with disabilities in terms of accessing recreation yeah it's it's hard you know it's it's, i mean it's hard to just walk around the streets let alone thinking about getting into the outdoors and that's really where my passion is starting to to build towards. there's yeah there's there's you know organizations like doc and halberg and so on are doing some great mahi in this area so how do we add our voice to that as recreational theater how can we add value to that whole intent and how do we bring others into that whole conversation as well, so that there's like a national collective drive to improve the situation for people with disabilities? And there's you know, a number of things to discuss in that area. So there's some some good practice, and it's about elevating that and sharing it around. But where, where are the gaps? And I think it probably lies in at, at more of a big picture, universal level, really. So there's this idea of universal design, which, thinking about how that applies to particularly accessing the outdoors in Aotearoa, I think that's where the conversation needs to be pitched at. So the, the types of tracks and other opportunities we, we offer in the outdoors, if you take more of the universal design element to that, rather than just thinking about the track standards, for example. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a bigger conversation and it's a wider group of people. And, you know, I want to be able to professionally make a difference in that area. And our voice is recreational to that.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Boss, on our first ever podcast. It's been great to hear more about your journey and uh, understand where it's going to take you in the future. It's definitely an exciting time for us as an organisation.
2: Yeah, and, and it's good for me to feels good to share, you know, it feels good mm. to share my experience and if other people can can learn off that and if it helps us as an organization identify where we can add value in this whole area, then yeah, more, more than happy to do it. And it's early days. Early mm-hmm. days. So there's there's a lot more recovery for me to come, I
0: think. Absolutely. Mm.
1: Awesome, thank
0: you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for Korero with Recreational Tearoa. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and share with your whānau.